William Townsend was an everyday sort of criminal. All his criminal acts were quite ordinary. Though brutal and vile acts, they lacked any type of possess or showmanship. You might wonder how such an unnoteworthy person could have become the centerpiece of one of the greatest criminal mysteries of the 19th century. Hello, I'm Nemo, and welcome to episode 14 of Certainly Strange. Uh, today's episode is a strange one, and you might think that's quite something to be expected from a podcast called Certainly Strange, but trust me, the end of the episode will leave you saying, wait, what? <laughs> it's, it's a criminal mystery, an unsolved case that I myself cannot quite wrap my head around. So, the story begins at night, on October the 18th, 1854, at the house of one John Hamilton Nellis. All the members of the household were fast asleep when Nellis was sitting by himself, putting the finishing touches to his day's work, when there came a knock on the door, and three men, disguised with full moustaches and dawning blackface, burst into the house. They demanded money, but Nellis refused. And so, one of the men raised his pistol and shot the shopkeeper, three times into his chest. Nellis's wife and her sister, Lucy, woke up from the gunshots and rushed into the room. Nellis was lying on the floor, a puddle of blood forming around him. The robbers ignored the two women and went on to loot the entire house from anything valuable, which wasn't much. The only thing that they found was Nellis's watch. As the robbers were leaving the place, the man who had shot Nellis turned to the man as he was lying, bleeding on the floor, saying... You scoundrel, you slammed the door in my face. The doctor was summoned, but he could do nothing. Three hours later, Nellis was dead. Almost immediately, the police went out in search of the bandits. Then, a constable named Robert Flanders reported that five men had spent the night in his barn, after which they took the early train bound for Buffalo, New York. Flanders recognised one of the men who had appeared as the leader of the gang, as a known criminal named, as you might have guessed, William Townsend. What followed was a wild goose chase to catch the band of criminals. Flanders and the six other policemen took the first available train to Buffalo, where upon arrival they found out that the criminals had very cleverly had doubled on their tracks and had immediately returned to Canada. Then, Townsend boarded a boat bound for Oswego. Flanders was ordered to set out to Oswego, which he reached before the boat could arrive in the harbour. Townsend, however, was nowhere to be found. Apparently, he had switched boats. And then, Townsend went to his brother-in-law, where he stayed for weeks in hiding, dressed as a woman. Townsend may have been very clever shaking the police off his trail, but his gang was not so fortunate. In April 1855, the members of the gang were convicted of the murder of John Nellis. Two were hanged, but a third member of the gang, a man named Bryson, traded in his execution for life imprisonment because he was willing to provide evidence and testify against Townsend. Apparently, Townsend got tired of waiting in hiding. In December, he returned to his old ways, robbing a farmer. The farmer actually managed to track the criminal back to the inn where he was staying in. 
Then, the farmer alerted a local constable, Charles Richards, who went in to arrest Townsend. But even before he could put his hand upon Townsend's shoulder, the criminal pulled a gun and shot the policeman. And yet again, Townsend managed to escape. Some days later, the police heard that Townsend had boarded a train to Woodstock. The local sheriff sent out a description of the man with orders to arrest him. And indeed, when the police entered the train, coming through each cart individually, they found a man that matched the exact descriptions of Townsend. But here comes the twist. The man wasn't Townsend. Or at least, that's what he claimed. This is how it went, according to Woodstock jailer George Forbes. We arranged to enter the cars, one at the forward end of each. I went into the forward car. About the middle of the forward car, I saw a man at whom I looked intently. He said to me, Oh, I know what you're at. You think I'm Townsend? I said, Yes, I do. Oh, he said, I do favour the description very much. I have been taken for him once before today, but I'm not he. I'm going west and come from the east of Rochester. He was so well dressed and had such a smile on his face that I did not arrest him. I went to take counsel with the other constables, and when I went into the car again, he was gone. We saw him again afterwards on the platforms, and concluded that we would detain him. He said it was very hard, for he wanted to go west. We said it would only be for a very short time, for people were coming on the next train who could identify him. He then stood still while the train was moving away, but... As it had attached a good rate of speed, he darted away like a deer and jumped on the last platform of the last car, leaving us behind. Townsend seemed to have escaped justice once again, but that came all to an end when, in April of 1857, he was caught by a train conductor, of all people. He owed him three and a half dollars, which the man did not possess. The train conductor then dragged him into a bar, where the owner recognised the noted robber and murderer, William Townsend. Realising who was standing in front of him, the man dropped and smashed the glass which he had been cleaning. The police was called and Townsend was finally arrested. The trial began on the 27th of September 1857 for the murder of John Nellis. Of course, the prisoner pleaded not guilty, because he stated, as he had done before, that he was not Townsend. However, when witnesses were questioned, the wife of Nellis and her sister did identify him as Townsend, and so did the doctor. Then, Brighton was brought forward as a witness, who also confirmed that the man standing at the bar in front of him was indeed the leader of the criminal gang that he was part of, William Townsend. I identified the prisoner the first time I came here. He wore whiskers then, but they are shaved off now. I have no difficulty in recognising him. He is the man. With all these people identifying him positively as the man who had shot Nellis, the one and only criminal William Townsend, the prisoner's fate seemed to be sealed. But then the defence came in. They called into the box no fewer than 49 witnesses, such as Townsend's two sisters, his stepfather, his brother-in-law, his sister's father-in-law, and others who were closely connected with him. And all of these testified that the prisoner at the bar was not 
William Townsend. The confusion about the identity of the prisoner, whether he was or was not William Townsend, resulted in the jury not being able to decide whether to convict him of the murder or not. And so, the jury was discharged and the prisoner was returned to his cell to await a second trial. In the meantime, the prisoner had written a letter and had sent it out to the newspapers. During the first trial, not Townsend had been quiet the entire time, but now he gave a written statement to the press, ridiculing the idea that he was William Townsend. His name, he said, was Robert W. McHenry. He had immigrated from Scotland to the United States in 1837 and had eventually drifted to Cleveland, where he had obtained a job as a mariner on Lake Erie. He had, he claimed, been to Canada only once. In the letter, he also claimed that he had been in California in the autumn of 1854, when the murder of John Hamilton Nellis had taken place. He was angry that the jury did not acquit him, and said that in the future the expression as ignorant as a Townsend juror would be a proverbial. The second trial took place in Merrittsville on March 26, 1858. During the second trial, Bryson was suddenly not so sure anymore whether the prisoner was truly Townsend or not. Townsend had worn earrings, but the prisoner did not have holes in his ears. Townsend also had tattoos, which the prisoner did not have. But Bryson also noted that Townsend had been very clever and had a talent for impersonating other people. The witnesses that came forward were all not so very sure whether or not that man was truly Townsend. Sure, he had the same build, a very similar face, but the profile of his face seemed wrong and he also seemed to be slightly taller than Townsend had been. After a discussion of five hours, the jury returned. This time, there was no disagreement among the jury. After careful consideration of the case, the foreman announced the unanimous verdict. That the prisoner is not Townsend and that he is not guilty. And so, after paying his bail of a hundred dollars, the man went free. But whether that man was Townsend or truly someone unlucky enough to look exactly like a murderer is still unknown. All we know is that it is certainly strange. And what is even stranger is the theory that the writer William Wallace Stewart proposed in his 1931 book Murders and Mysteries. Namely, that the man had neither been Townsend nor McHenry but rather a deserter from the British Columbian army who was afraid to face punishment by sharing his real identity. Because, after years of research by many Canadian historians, it appears that Robert J. McHenry never existed at all. So that was the story of Townsend, or not Townsend, however you want to look at it. I wanted to start this episode off by stating that uh, for his entire life, Townsend had been a fairly common criminal, uh, no glitter and glamour, uh, as a way of saying like, look, if this was some sort of act, some sort of catch-me-if-you-can way of deceiving the police, uh, that would have been quite a change in character. Uh, but then also, if you look at how he's avoiding getting caught by the police, by changing trains and boats and leading this entire wild goose chase just to hide out in his brother-in-law's house dressed as a woman. I mean, that 
actually show some sort of creativity. Um, I, I already said in the start, I this is a case that I cannot wrap my head around. Um, but my stance on this case is pretty simple. So if this man truly was Townsend, and he went free because he managed to deceive so many people, uh, including two juries. I mean, bravo, good on him. I have a sort of soft spot for criminals getting away with crime by being like super clever and super creative. Uh, in my mind, like if you manage to rob a bank or a museum, and you can get away with it because you were that smart and like wearing disguises and like a, a fake moustache and a wig you should get away with it i love clever robberies i mean the gardner museum heist i don't know if you are familiar with it basically the biggest art heist of all time remains unsolved to this day and i'm just like good good for them i mean i cannot I wouldn't it's it's like an art on itself it's an art form if you manage to rob a museum in disguise uh and just get away with it vanish without a trace it's amazing uh the same same thing with the pink panther crew which is a, a like an international band of like the best criminals uh, who wear wigs and rob like the most luxurious jewelry stores uh and and the almost never get caught brilliant <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of that and you know the same thing is with with this case if you are a criminal and you manage to deceive so many people as Townsend did because he either vanished without a trace uh, no one ever heard of him again uh, he just ran for it and was never caught or he pretended to be someone he was not um, uh, it shows a sort of cleverness that I just really appreciate. Um, I don't know what you think about it. I love to hear your opinions. Uh, you can always contact me or message me on social media. Uh, both the website and my social media or are uh, Dr. Nemo's Cabinet of Curiosities. And thank you for listening to this episode of Certainly Strange, a podcast about the unexplainable. Everything about the podcast and my other projects can be found on my website drnemoscabinetofcuriosities.com. There you can also find the transcript of this episode as well as the sources that I used in my research. And once again, thanks for listening.